I'm the oldest here, and um, this morning I want to talk about the perfect marriage. But before I do, um, I just want to mention that I've had a, a cough for the last 40-odd years. Uh, speaking to the Department of Health, they got me to get COVID tested and see my doctor, and eventually I've been cleared to attend, cough or not. So if I cough, it's, um, it's all COVID safe. Well... Yeah, any rate. I love love stories, and I particularly like books written pre-1920 um, because I think they're more black and white and, um, and I think they're more fulfilling. I particularly also like a more modern one. That's the one between Paula and myself. That's a lovely story. We're almost another couple of weeks... Uh, 50 years married. So that led me to think about today and I want to tell you about a particular love story. It's the best love story I've ever read Um, and it's a love story that should change our lives and can change our lives and and our marriages. Um, It's also the most published love story that has ever been. Um, You may know This isn't a love story, but Harry Potter has um, been printed 40 million times or there are 400 million copies. That's an awful lot. And if you're really keen on the works of Marzi Tung, it's been um, printed 800 million times. Well, this love story has been printed and sold over 3.9 billion times. Well, that's a pretty, pretty good book. By now you've probably worked out I'm talking about the Bible. And, um, you know, it tells us about the love of the Father of God and it tells us about love of Jesus towards us and to his bride, the church. Wonderful book. The whole book is a love story. It's a you can look through it, and I encourage you to look through it from a, a lens of love and um, see what is there, the expression of God towards his people and towards, well, his people, us. Some of the really, really powerful ones are in Genesis and um, Hosea, which is a sort of horrible book but a lovely book when you start to see it's describing God's love for a sinful people. There's all through the New Testament, the Old Testament, great. The whole book, the whole book, a lot of books, shout out and and declare God's love to us and it's really rich and really good. And this is because God is love. That's his whole nature. God is love. And so we see in the Bible examples of his love, stories of his love, and living parables of his love. Um, God seems to like parables, and uh, one of the the big ones that we see and explained quite a lot is Hebrews, where people in the Old Testament lived through a sacrificial system, which was a picture of the reality of Jesus Christ. and his death on their behalf. They thought they were living life just like we think we're living life. 
but they were living a parable of, of, of what Jesus was going to do on their behalf. Um, when we look at Genesis 2.24, the very first reading that Helen read this morning, and before the fall, we see that marriage was introduced by God. He created marriage. Um, and in the last reading, we saw that marriage was a parable, basically, a picture of Christ and the church. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to... Um, I've called it perfect marriage, but by that I'm talking about Christ and the church. And I'll keep on talking about biblical marriage until I get sick of it. By that I mean what we call marriage. Uh, why biblical? Because all the people in the Old Testament who obeyed God and looked God, uh, this includes them as well as, as us today. Of course, secular marriage doesn't honour God or care about God, and, it, and what I'm talking about isn't that type of marriage at all. I'm talking about biblical marriage. Let's pray. You are eternal God, everlasting Father. You created the heavens and the earth, and uh, please, we ask that your spirit will open our hearts and teach us what we should learn that we might grow in maturity in Christ. We ask that as we do this, that we will give you glory in loving you more and enjoying you more. I do pray that you'll help me to stick to um, the, the message and don't get sidetracked too often. Lord, teach us, we ask in the name of our wonderful Saviour, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, I want to talk about the perfect marriage. Uh, and I've broken it down into three parts. Perfect marriage, biblical marriage, which hopefully we'll call marriage, and what it means to us. How, how should we live? And um, if you're not one of the married, or not going to be married, it doesn't matter because if you're part of the church... This applies equally to you as well because, um, because of the crossover that God wanted us to learn from marriage what the relationship of Christ and the church was about and from Christ and the church that we might learn about marriage. Let us move on. So, um, yeah. I do want to tell you that uh, the perfect marriage as we look at it, is a case of already but not yet. That is, we're already engaged in some part of relationship with Jesus Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But that will, when we go to be with him in heaven in glory, we will be able to enjoy it fully and completely. And um, that is, we've got part of the reality, but we'll get the rest later on. Already, but not yet. Okay. Oops. Got there. Biblical marriage. We get there. The mystery of Christ and the church and how it relates to marriage is the same mystery that Steve was talking about last week in Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And 
we see that, um, that in fact, I'll read from Colossians 1.26 says, The mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And Colossians goes on to say that this mystery is Christ. You see, Satan and the angels, as far as I know, didn't know what was happening um, and how God would ever bring a people to himself. They were sinners. And Satan, I believe, reckoned when he got Christ on the, uh, the cross that he'd won. And the surprise for him was when Jesus rose from the dead, he found out he'd really lost. And that was the mystery of the cross. And we're going to look about that and how that fits in with um, a sinful and rebellious bride, which is what the church is even today. I don't know about you, but I still sin. In fact, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and even as a Christian, and even trying to follow God, I still sin. I try very hard to follow God, but I still go my own way from time to time. And so this story of the, of the bride and how God is going to present a perfect bride to himself it's the same story as us, us as individuals. Let's move on. So we pick up Ephesians thirty thirty two. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And profound sort of means, boy, this is big stuff. And I should mention... Uh, that we saw that verse in whole or part five times. This is, to my knowledge, the most quoted verse in the Bible. Um, that means God thinks it's pretty important stuff, I think. And it really has, it is profound and has a big impact on us as individuals and as a church. Um, we'll see that marriage, whether we're married or not, gives us a picture of how we should act as a church and how we should not act as a church. It tells us, and as we look at the church and Christ, it helps us to see how we should act as individuals and as in marriage. Okay. Um, perfect marriage. I, the other thing I wanted to tell you about that was that uh, as I said, it's already, but not yet. The situation where we stand at the moment is positionally, we as individuals and the church are counted as holy. But we're not holy, we're sinners. What we see is that the process by you, you and I become holy and perfect is called sanctification, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But... Revelation tells us a beautiful thing. Um, nope, I'll go there, see if I can find it. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice, rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these words are the true words of God. And so we are looking for a marriage of the, the Lamb and his bride and see what that means we are going to look at. This particular verse, and I'll start with Genesis since that's the beginning. For this reason man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And just because I want to confuse everyone, I'm going to go to the King James Version, which says, Therefore a man should leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know, cleave's one of these words we don't use too often. It's probably a good idea because it really has um, two opposite meanings at the same time. It means merge together, and it also means separate. It's um, came from German origins, so um, and via two different routes. So we've got two meanings of it. But I want to pick it today because uh, it stands out, and and it also rhymes with leave. I might add, um, but. It's good because we say, what on earth does that mean? Okay, let's try and see what that means. We're going to go through the leaving, the cleaving and becoming one flesh. Yeah. Uh, therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother. And um, the essence of leaving is you separate from and so one of the interesting things that we see is that, that we do separate from our old union of, of the old family and form a new family unit. And I want to point out that Jesus Christ left heaven and forms a new unit with um, his people and the church. There's a big difference between... So that's common... But the difference is, is when we leave our old family, we may or may not have unity with them at all. With regard to Jesus Christ, we see that um, that unity with the Father remains and we get added into that, that bigger unity of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit and his bride. I want to read to you what Jesus prayed um, just before the cross, um, he said, as part of what we call the high priestly prayer, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, may all be one, just as you, Father in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them, even as you love me. You see, the 
Jesus did leave heaven and cleave to his church, but the the difference is that he's merging us, bringing us into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and indeed through the Holy Spirit. And the unity that they had before the creation of the world is something that we're going to be in, in enjoying forever and ever and ever. And if you think about that relationship, that relationship is love. God is love and, and they are in that special love relationship so they have common goals and purposes and we're going to be joining them in that. And we have, at this stage, started on that journey. We're there, we're, it's already there, but it's not yet complete. Okay. No working, not turning, not. Yep. Thank you. Got there. You know, just like um, in the Old Testament, even with the prophets declaring what Jesus was, what the Messiah was going to do, the people didn't really understand God's plan until it was fully revealed. And so we don't fully understand what what this new unity is going to be like until we get to be with the Lord in heaven. Um, so we have to just go with what we're told and some of it, well, we're just not sure of it all. But let's move on to cleaving. Uh, the word means be united, be joined, and that's the way we describe it in the other books, other versions of the Bible. Uh, but it really should be um, expanded a little bit. It's joined completely and united completely. And I've got a little illustration that I want to say to you, and here's a picture of husband. Most husbands look a bit better than this, but um, but one husband. We're individuals, and this is a picture of wives. Uh, most of them look better than that too. Um, the point is that cleaving and joining completely is meant to mean that we are like two individuals but joined together such that if you were to separate them, you can't. And if you think about Christ and the church, what we're talking about is that join is inseparable. You, it cannot be broken. It absolutely uh, is inseparable. When we go with the world and uh, are divorced, what happens is we are breaking that picture. We're breaking the image of Christ and the church. And I'm going to tell you that I believe that, that this is blasphemy. This is bringing bad reputation to God and is declaring a lie about what uh, he has done. There's, the problem is, is we're sinners and things happen and for various reasons, nevertheless, divorces occur even in Christian marriage. And so I want to remind you that every one of us is sinners and every one of us falls short of the glory of God. 
and divorce is only one of the many things that we get wrong in our lives. And we give thanks to God that he, in fact, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, Christ will do this. Um, Jesus said... Sure, I've got there. Uh, so they no longer one flesh, uh, no longer two, but one flesh. What uh, therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they, that's the Pharisees, said, Why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he, Jesus, said to them, Because of the hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Why was it not so? Because from the beginning this was a picture of Christ and the church. And from the beginning this divorce was a bad, bad image of Christ and the church. This is not the way it is with Christ and the church. And divorce is not the way Uh, does not picture Christ and the church correct. Death, um, marriage should be till death us depart. And I might add that there is no marriages or giving in marriage in heaven. Um, I can't move on. Got there. There's no marriages or giving in marriages in heaven. Um, But the union that we've got, the new union, will continue forever. And so I was saying there, uh, with regard to cleaving, we should be inseparable when we're married. And that should be till death us depart, but because of sin, this sometimes is not the case. And even so, even if Paul and I continue to be married and never divorce, Sooner or later, one of us is going to die and the marriage will terminate at that time. It's for this life only. The marriage between Christ and the church is forever and ever and ever and ever. But, and will never be separated, but it's already, but it's not yet completed. We're sort of like the time between um, the wedding ceremony and the wedding breakfast at this stage. It has, uh, the marriage is not um, been fully consummated. It isn't fully there yet even. We're already, but not yet. Let's go on to the last point of this uh, picture here. And... Oops, go back off the track. I want to tell you that the last bit is the, um, of being one flesh. And the big problem is, is that, uh, and I will comment on the fact that being one flesh does include a sexual union, but it's more than that, and it's, about, I seem to have lost one of my slides here. 
Yep, lost the slide. It's, it's about mind and soul and body being joined together in, in unity, um, as well as the, the, the sexual um, joining as well. In the case of Jesus Christ and the church, the union is a spiritual joining. Um, they're two very different things, but there is a joining and it's by the, the Holy Spirit. And then we get to the fact that I, this perfect marriage that I want to talk about requires a perfect bridegroom and a perfect bride. Jesus Christ is the perfect bridegroom, but what about the bride? We talked about the bride being made up of the church, is the church, and is made up of individuals. And we talked about the fact that individuals are counted not guilty, um, are counted as right because of what Jesus did on the cross. But we're still sinners. What we need to get the perfect bride is to have perfect people. Pretty simple. Perfect people. Yeah, okay. Not likely. Um, what has God done about it? And I want to tell you about that now. Church made up of individuals means that we're made up of sinners. All of us. And God has said, just as is appointed for man to die once and after that the judgment, each one of us is going to stand before or kneel before, be before God in Jesus Christ to be judged. And boy, even if we would say, boy, this is pretty scary stuff, I tell you what, I'm going to be perfect from now on. Even if that were possible and it's not, when we stand before the judgment seat of, of God, we have already sinned. And so we're already guilty. And unfortunately, the penalty for sin is death. What a mess. What can we do about it? Well, nothing. Nothing we cannot do. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. There is a way out. There is a way out, and it turns out to be our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The picture up there is meant to uh, be a picture of Jesus Christ and his cross. And those of you who love accounting, there's a debit column and a, a credit column. And Jesus Christ is righteous. He lived a perfect life, a holy life. There is no spot or blemish in him. Righteous has its origins in a in the Mesopotamian um, um, reeds that were straightened. They used them to measure, um, measure buildings and horizontal and, and whether the buildings were built right. And God, count, being righteous, means if you hold, him, hold a measure against perfect holiness, Jesus Christ is it, perfectly holy in everything. In fact, he is God. God is holy. And we are the sinners. What do we do about it? Well, I said we could do nothing. Um, 
what we can do is turn to God and believe in him to the point of trusting in him. And God has promised something very, very special. God has said that Jesus Christ's righteousness will be counted as our righteousness and our sin will be counted as Jesus' sin on the cross. And he will pay that penalty for us. Wow, how wonderful. Corinthians puts it this way, for our sake he made, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Pretty good. Wonderful. That's really good news. As a result of this, God has declared us as being not guilty. It's just like court of law. You know, the judge at the end says, not guilty, and we're counted as not guilty. How wonderful. The only problem is, is this deals with, and and as a result of that, the bride is counted as not guilty because we make up the bride, we make up the church. But this only deals with the legal aspect of things and we're not, we're not really perfect. And so you really can't call a perfect bride perfect if, if just not guilty. God does something more. He sanctifies us. He puts the law, his laws in our heart and he gives us the Holy Spirit and he's working us to change us. God wants us to, um, you know, follow Jesus Christ. And you can't sort of stand still and follow. You actually have to do something. Follow. Um, And so he says to us, I appeal to you, therefore, this is from Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will. what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God has called us to be active participants in his plan of of transformation. He wants us to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us to achieve his good purpose. And after that, he will glorify us when we leave this earth to be with him in heaven or to be with him. So let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated on the right hand of the throne of God. And so I want to say that this becoming one flesh, joining heart and soul and um, it, should be, it should be perfect joining but it isn't because 
of sin. Uh, it is the sexual union in biblical marriage. And I want to mention to you that the perfect marriage, or sorry, marriage is intended to produce fruit. Um, there's two types of fruit that marriage will produce. One is children, which um, hopefully will occur. And you know, the world was corrupted when sin entered into it. And so we have still got problems with with sometimes not being able to have children. Um, this is the fallen world that, that is just not not the way that God planned from the beginning. And the, the, I suppose if there's a, a, a blessing there, it is we say to ourselves, this is not right, I would prefer the perfect world. And thankfully God says that we will see that perfect world in due course as part of the hope that we look forward to. But as well as producing children, we also produce love, joy and peace. And 1 Corinthians tells us a lot, uh, chapter 13, the love chapter, tells us a lot about the things that we can expect in marriage. And if you look at um, that and compare it with the fruit of the Spirit, you'll see that they're very, very similar. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and helpfulness, gentleness and self-control in Galatians. And so we, we will see that indeed um, Christ in the church is joining in heart and mind and soul. We're not there. It's already occurred, but it'll come to completion um, when we're with the Lord. It's a spiritual union as opposed to a sexual union. But you know, the purpose is the same, to produce fruit. And what sort of fruit are we expecting to see in, in this life? Well, I'll tell you, it's children. Uh, we Just like we don't and can't create children, uh, it's, it's, we're involved in the process, but it's God who does that. It's God who knits us together in our mother's womb so we can't create new children of God, but we can be involved in that process. Indeed, he calls us to be his ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We are to declare to the world and God will produce the children working in concert with the work that we're called to do. Okay. Why should both... Why is biblical marriage? Why is marriage? And why is Christ in the church? The end result of all of this is to glorify God. And God said, uh, in all that you do, um, can't get it, eating and drinking or whatever... Um, we are to give glory to God. We are to glorify God. Okay, let's move on and conclude. Okay, how do we live as a result of all this? We've sort of touched on, on some of this, um, but I'm going to pick up 
on a particular part. As I said, you can look at marriage and see a little bit of how we should communicate, uh, how we should deal with uh, Christ and the church. You can look at the church and Christ and see how we should be in marriage. And one of the things I want to pick up with is that in marriage, what you're doing is building relationship, and that relationship continues forever, uh, well, on this earth, for, the, for that marriage. Um, with Christ and the church, we are building relationship now on earth. How do you build relationship? Well, I'll tell you. You do things together and you, you talk. We call that prayer in the case of, of, of Christ and the church. What do we do in marriage? We do things together and we talk. Good stuff. One thing to learn out there. One of the other things that sort of driven me, um, I'd have to say my, my walk as a husband and father has been pretty rocky at times. Um, I, I had to learn a lot of lessons. Um, but one of the things that Jesus told us, even as the Son of Man came not to, ser- to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, reminds me that I as a husband, one of my biggest roles is to serve my wife. Not quite a slave. Jesus was never a slave. He, um, and he didn't do everything that we wanted him to do. What he did is what we needed him to do. Bring us closer to the Godhead and save us. Well, we can't quite, we're not quite God, so that's not quite what we do as husbands. But one of the roles of husbands and indeed fathers is to bring their wife and children closer to the Godhead, to help them to grow in Christ. And we go on to look at earlier verses. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. I think that's pretty clear. The role of husbands are to um, serve their wives, be a blessing to their wives, and present their wives to, to Jesus Christ. You know, I could go on for hours and hours, and if you want to come and talk to us, and we'll go on for hours and hours. But, you know, if we look at marriage, we can see things that we can do better in our relationship with Christ and the church, and Christ and ourselves. If we look at the Christ and the church, we can see things that we can do better in our marriages. Okay. I want to almost conclude with, if I can turn the page, okay, a verse or some readings out of Titus 2, 1 to 5. Uh, but as 
for you, teach what accords with sound doctrines. Older men are to be, and he goes on to say lots and lots of things about men and about women. But I want to grab you to the bottom line, that the word of God may not be reviled. What he's saying is the way we live is important. People look at the way we live, and if we live differently from what God has said, then the word of God may be reviled. The word reviled, if you look it up, it's something like blasphemo. Um, it's, it's the word we get blaspheme from. When we muck up our life and it's not in accordance with sound doctrine, what we may end up doing is being blaspheming God. And I want to tell you that marriage is as part of life. What that means is the way we treat our marriages has the potential of blaspheming the word of God. Pretty pretty important, pretty marvellous. The Bible is is an account of God's love towards his people. And the real story culminates with the marriage feast of the Lamb. And the main theme of running through the whole Bible is how God cared for and loved and dealt with a, a people who were rebellious sinners God called them adulterers back in the Old Testament. It's a story about how much he loved them, even so, such that he sent his son to die on the cross on their behalf. And that's the same story for us. Even before we ever knew him, he loved us. We loved because he first loved us. The Bible is the account of the love of the perfect uh, bridegroom and how he died for his church to bring her to him. Because of that and sanctification, the changing us as we deliberately look towards God and go his way, he will present a perfect bride to a perfect bridegroom to achieve the perfect marriage. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more and neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. In conclusion... Yep, we've gone there... In conclusion, I leave you with this verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray.
Thank you for your great love, for your wonderful plan to save us from the penalty of our sin. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour, who fully met the just demands of the law, who was fully righteous and holy, and we thank you that he died on our behalf. Please help us to draw near to you with a true heart in full assurance of faith that, we, that you may complete the good work that you've already begun in us. Please help us to live lives worthy of our calling, both for our good and so that you might be glorified. And we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.